0: Hello there all you beautiful little sea slugs, it's me, your cryptid cousin, with a little background on what exactly a cryptid is and what cryptozoology entails. So cryptozoology is the search for and the study of creatures and entities whose existence and survival is disputed, unsubstantiated, and not entirely backed by science. And while science has never proved these creatures, these beings exist, it hasn't disproved it either and that's what makes cryptids and cryptozoology so fun to look into. So how did the word cryptozoology come into existence? Well, crypto, the first half of it, comes from the ancient Greek word kryptos, meaning hidden or secret, Well, zoology is, you know, that section of biology that relates to the animal kingdom. So you pop those two words together, and you've got cryptozoology, the study of secret animals, the study of hidden animals. And the term originally dates back to around the 1940s, with the work of Scottish-American biologist Ivan T. Sanderson, and then later the Belgian zoologist Bernard Huelvmans, Um, And we can think of these two guys as the fathers of modern cryptozoology. It wasn't really until 1983 that the term cryptid started being used to describe these animals, these monsters, these entities. And there was an issue in the International Society of Cryptozoology newsletter that specifically referenced how the word monster was often misleading and sensationalist, and it was suggested that the new term for these creatures should be cryptid after cryptozoology. So the study was coined before the word, and I think that's really interesting. So if there's no science to back any of this up so far, how do cryptozoologists do their work? You know, a traditional biologist identifies and studies new species, and it's kind of the same thing with cryptozoologists. But in cryptozoology, the focus is on creatures from folklore or creatures that are just so fantastically outrageous and otherworldly that most folks don't actually think they could exist. And you know, sometimes these creatures are animals that science tells us have been long extinct, or could be a rare single species or something so unearthly and supernatural that it could possibly be alien, but it could also be just this species of animal that fits in with normal evolution that hasn't been discovered yet. I mean, it happens all the time, not really so often these days, but still. it's because we've been out there in the marshes and the forests and the jungles looking for things to document and officially recognize as a part of our world. So a lot of cryptozoologists, and I'm not a professional, I'm just an amateur, you know, we believe it's got to be necessary to branch out, open your mind, broaden your horizons, and believe that there could be something out there that hasn't been discovered yet. It's, It's possible. And not only is it possible, but it's also kind of plausible. The fact that cryptids are investigated and featured in countless reported sightings across the entire world is reason enough right there for me and i believe reason enough for other folks interested in cryptids and in cryptozoology so for the folks interested in cryptids and cryptozoology how do they even get a start in the field um something i found by looking into this and researching it is that a lot of people who are studying it and and you know trying to go down this path don't really come from a science background and i wouldn't say that i necessarily come from a science background i do have a degree in a stem field it's computer systems engineering which is technically science but i view it as more science adjacent um you know when i was a kid i definitely didn't have any kind of scientific background my my dad's a chemist but i didn't get those genes and neither did my sister so you don't really have to have any kind of scientific base to become a cryptozoologist, you can just really like all things spooky. You know, when I was a kid, when this obsession of mine started, I loved mysteries, anything that wasn't set in stone 100% known. And the mystery of the possibility of finding something new and changing the world with that discovery really got my gears going. And since cryptozoology is considered a pseudoscience, there's no explicit academic qualification you need to become a student or a leader in this field. You just have to be dedicated you have to be passionate you have to be willing to ask questions and get some strange looks and i think honestly that that's a really fun part of what life is all about you know that being said there are quite a few cryptozoologists who do come from a science background who have knowledge of biology or zoology or you know kind of medicine related fields that can be helpful when considering careers in this area it is largely helpful to understand at least some very basic elements of what might support your theories You know, you can't build a house on the rocky foundation, so it's always good to have some kind of basic knowledge or training or investigation into an area before you set out and start doing research and field work. When you're getting ready to do field work, you need to take some basic questions into account. The very first one that comes to mind is how the environment could be influencing the possible existence of a living creature. Uh, Take, for example, Nessie in Loch Ness. You, you've got to take into account the environment she would be existing in. Another important question to ask is what known species m- might be misidentified as that cryptid you're looking for? A really good example of this is the Yeti. There's a theory, and it's, it's just a theory right now, um, that it could be a species of monkey that's evolved to thrive in frozen environments. You know, I think another good question would be to consider if there could be a mutation on an animal or a disease that could potentially misidentify that animal as a cryptid. Like people do with mangy dogs as chupacabras. So it's always good to have that curiosity and that passion for exploring the unknown, for being patient when people give you strange looks, for being interested in this stuff. But good research and observation skills and being reasonable to an extent is important when you're going out into the field to search for these incredibly yet-to-be-discovered beings. So we've discussed a little bit of the introduction and you know, touched on some background information. We have discussed Kind of how to think about or look into becoming a cryptozoologist, how to approach your fieldwork a little bit. But we haven't really discussed the very beginnings, how it got its foothold in modern society, the, the fetal stages, for lack of a better word. So people have been sitting around telling tales of monsters since the dawn of time. Like the second that we created language and a means to communicate with one another, we were telling stories, we were creating mythos, and a lot of the modern-day cryptids come from folklore and stories from indigenous peoples. You know, the biggest example that comes to mind is the Wendigo, which is actually part of a traditional belief system of a number of Algonquin-speaking peoples in Canada and the United States. It's not just a cryptid, it is so much more than that. But modern cryptozoology is really less than 200 years old. One of the most well-known amateur cryptozoologists was Ezekiel Stone Wiggins from Canada around the late 19th century. In 1876-ish, Wiggins argued in the Days of Creation, published in the St. John New Brunswick Globe, that Plesiosaurus dolicodirus was not extinct based on reported sightings by passengers on a cruise steamer that saw a marine animal swimming with its head 12 feet above the water near Boston. He was very adamant that this creature was an inhabitant of Rice Lake in southeastern Ontario and that it had to be at least 20 feet in length. Later, around 1892-ish, a respected Dutch zoologist and the director of the Dutch Royal Zoological Gardens, Antoon Cornelius Oudmans, published a book called The Great Sea Serpent, and I am going to get that review I'm very excited. In this book, he theorized that sightings of sea serpents may be attributed to an unknown species of giant elongated seal that hasn't been found yet. The science community didn't take him and his ideas on this seriously, and I really think that's a shame. By the mid-20th century, more cryptozoologists had come to the forefront through media stories and investigations mostly into creatures such as the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. Around 1959-ish, Bernard Welfmans, who we discussed in the very beginning, he published a book titled The Track of Unknown Animals that detailed accounts of cryptids from around the world. And this book really positioned him as a leader in the field. It helped pave the way for other people who were interested into the unknown to step forward and pursue their passion. Nowadays, there's at least 10,000 programs, societies, publications, movies, shows, podcasts, you know, all sorts of, you know, media presentations that are based around the study of cryptozoology you know a really good example of this is this podcast but also the show Skinwalker Ranch which you can watch on Hulu and I wouldn't recommend it I didn't enjoy it but that is an example of people investigating cryptids right now in the year you know 2021. Cryptozoology isn't An isolated field. It's related to a lot of paranormal investigations and it's got some cousins that I think we should discuss while we're talking about the background of it. One of those cousin fields is young earth creationism and I'm going to be honest I don't know much about this Um, so I'm going to give you a little brief synopsis from information I found on the internet so do take this with a grain of salt. But from what I could find Young earth creationism is an area of study that rejects conventional science in favor of a biblical interpretation of how the earth and the living creatures upon it came to exist. Um, Young earth creationists typically consider the book of Genesis to be a historically accurate account of creation, which is kind of a, a little too much for me. In support of young earth creationism, a lot of people in it have embraced cryptozoology as a means of proving that along with Adam and Eve as the universal ancestors of every single human on the planet, dinosaurs, who under this theory would have been created at the same time, also continue to exist today. So a lot of young earth creationist expeditions are funded to find evidence of living dinosaurs that would disprove evolution. And I don't wanna yuck someone's yum but young earth creationism is not something I subscribe to. Another cousin field that may be a little bit more palatable for most folks is ufology or UFOology, however you want to pronounce it. It's the study of sightings, physical evidence, and other phenomena related to unidentified flying objects. And while the study and investigation into UFOs, reports, and supposed evidence of alien presence in our world has has been conducted by governments, you know, the American government released that, very recently uh, within like the last I think year um, as well as independent groups of scientists and you know weirdos like me as a field ufology is not accepted by mainstream scientific community and that's totally fine it's a pseudoscience just like cryptozoology and it kind of overlaps with cryptozoology in a way because both are based around and investigating the unexplained Um, in cryptozoology There are branches of believers who maintain that Bigfoot and other humanoid cryptids are alien lifeforms, which could explain why they're so hard to find. Other cryptids, such as the Dover Demon, the Flatwoods Monster, the Fresno Nightcrawlers, they're extraterrestrials that travel to Earth in spaceships. Now, I'm not entirely sure if I believe that cryptids could be aliens. I 100% think that aliens exist. There's no way that they don't. There's so much out there beyond our universe you know, beyond what we've been able to study. So if it's more probable than not, in my opinion, that alien life exists out there, it just may not be in the way that we think it does. And alien bacteria is alien because it didn't come from Earth, but that doesn't quite fit the stereotype of little gray men. But I do think the approach of cryptids or aliens is an interesting way to look at it, and I 100% support anyone who wants to take that and run with it. So now that we've discussed, you know, some background how it really came to be about, how to look into becoming a cryptozoologist, how to get into the field work, some related fields to it. Um, let's talk about some famous cryptids that aren't Nessie, you know, Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Chupacabra, the Ohio Frogman. Let's talk about some that don't really get the media attention they deserve. And these are well-known cryptids that investigators have been hunting for decades. So let's start off with the Orangpindex. It's a small, hairy, bipedal humanoid creature that is said to inhabit the remote mountainous forest on the island of Sumatra. In Indonesian, its name translates to short person. It has been allegedly seen and documented for at least 100 years by forest tribes, local villagers, Dutch colonists in the early 20th century, and Western investigators and tourists. The most famous investigator like to date is a woman named Debbie Martyr. Um, she's British. She spent 15 years trying to find conclusive evidence of the creature's existence and she and her team claimed they saw the tiny primate-like creature on numerous occasions and they collected you know at least dozens of casts of its footprints but they were never able to fully prove it existed and i've got to applaud her dedication you know for for 15 years is an insane amount of time to be studying tracking and trying to capture definitive evidence of something that is pure passion like i'm i'm very impressed. Another really fun cryptid that I don't feel like gets enough media attention is the Mappingari. It comes from South American folklore, and it is a giant sloth-like creature with red fur that lives in the Amazon rainforest of Brazil and Bolivia. It reeks, apparently, and its name typically translates as Fetid Beast. So along with its awful stench, it has one eye, long claws, and a mouth in the middle of its stomach, and that actually reminds me of another cryptid that we will get into in a later episode. Most cryptozoologists consider this really scary looking creature to be related to the giant sloth or possibly being a megatherium, which is an elephant-sized ground sloth from the Ice Age that is thought to be long extinct. The last cryptid that I think doesn't get enough attention that we're going to talk about in this episode is the Snallygaster, and I absolutely love this one. It's a dragon-like creature from American folklore that is thought to inhabit an area of Maryland, including Washington, D.C., the earliest accounts of this creature come from German settlers in around the 17th century who gave it the name Schnellergeist, um, meaning quick spirit, and that's its current monkey or is derived from that Schnellergeist, Schnellergaster. It's described as being reptilian in appearance, but with wings and razor sharp teeth. You know, sometimes the accounts of it add octopus-like tentacles, which are used to grab onto victims as it swoops from the sky at night, but that's not always part of the accounts. In 1909-ish, a series of articles reporting sightings of the beast were published in the local Maryland press, and one article quoted local residents saying that it had enormous wings, a long-pointed bill, claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead. These articles were taken so seriously that the Smithsonian Institute offered a reward for its hide. The U.S. President at the time, Teddy Roosevelt, was reported as considering putting off an African hunting trip to stay and track down the beast himself and... Honestly, I love that. Firstly, he shouldn't be going on African hunting trips. But if you're if you're gonna put off anything, you should definitely cancel all of your plans to go find a cryptid. That's the only only excuse for canceling plans from here on out. Um, also, not to discredit these people, but does anyone remember that song, "The Flying Purple People Eater"? Because the Snallygaster really gives me big flying purple people eater vibes. And that kind of just goes to show how deeply rooted these folklore creatures are, you know, these mythological creatures are, these cryptids are in our society. We don't even recognize half the time when these things we're referencing, especially as children, are these undocumented entities. But we do that and we believe in them. And I think that believing in something gives us a certain realness, a certain tangibleness that it wouldn't have otherwise. So do cryptids really exist? <laughs> It's hard to say. And that's what the search is for. It's to get definitive evidence that these things do or do not exist because there's still so much uncertainty. There's still so much unknown that it's hard to say that they absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, do not exist. And I think that's what really spurs people on to investigate and research and be passionate about these unpromised mysteries. You know, think of giant squids. Reports go all the way back to Aristotle. The first confirmed discovery of a carcass came from the 1870s. And it wasn't until the late twentieth century that zoologists were actually able to take photos of a live specimen and formally recognize it. Up until then, the giant squid was encrypted, and now it's this thing we can look at and go, oh my god, that's so big and very scary, thanks for existing way in the ocean and not appear where we are. You know. But it, it wasn't real for a while because we didn't have proof. Mountain gorillas in southwest Uganda, which are the largest primates alive, at least to us, you know, were hidden. From mankind until two were shot in 1902. These were cryptids up until then and then there was tangible evidence and all of a sudden they were legitimized in the blink of an eye in you know the the shot of a gun unfortunately. (laughs) Komodo dragons weren't accepted by the European zoological community until 1910. If you don't think Komodo dragons are real then boy howdy do I have some news for you all of the things these creatures these animals these beings that we have today that we've recognized in modern times were myths before they were folklore they were stories things we would tell our kids to keep them from going out too late at night or from misbehaving things we would tell each other for a little spook or a little fright they were stories that we would pass on for generations and now they're real and they were real the entire time they just weren't legitimized so do cryptids exist I'm going to say absolutely they do. And in the episodes after this, in this podcast, we're going to discuss some of the best ones, and we're going to discuss some of the grossest ones. And we are going to cover some that don't make any sense. And I am so excited to take you along this journey of the weird and wonderful and completely unknown that is and are cryptids in cryptozoology. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day an absolutely stunning week and a really good pee break around 3 p.m. tomorrow. I will see you in the next episode, and this is your cryptid cousin signing off. I love you. Bye.